Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. just got to mean one thing and one thing only. It is Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. A good day. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, joined in the studio live and in person by the one, the only, storyboard artist to the Coen brothers and all the beautiful people. He is J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, welcome. So glad to be here. Thank you very much. You bet. Also joining us via the phone line from his home, deep in the vaults of the Library of Congress, he is the Nitrate Film Archivist for the Library of Congress and our man at the Library of Congress, Mr. George Willeman. George, welcome. yippee Kayo kaye You know, one of the things you always got to remember about George is if one of those Twilight Zone episodes with Burgess Meredith, you know, and, and, and he goes down into the vault and the nuclear war comes and wipes everything out and then he goes... He comes out of the vault. There's George. <laughs> glasses, and he's so happy because he can sit there and read books all, and the glasses break. The glasses break. You want to think about the Library of Congress, you know, the big, huge vaults. There, George is down there in those vaults, man. <laughs> he is safe. Happens every day. <laughs> Our man from the Library of Congress is safe from any kind of disaster. His brain will always be with us. <laughs> and we're pretty glad for that. Welcome, George. And uh, we commune over a pretty cool perfect movie on this day and i have to say if you film guys had not pointed me that direction i don't think i would have ever given it this movie isn't on too many people's list is it george uh no well those those who know (laughs) it's on their list and it is so important it is so so important if you look into this movie and that movie is tell them george winchester 73 what a movie Jeremy Stewart's in this, and uh, it's directed by Anthony Mann. It's 1950. It's the one of the perfect post-war movies. And, uh, and Jimmy uh, Stewart just coming back, as a matter of fact, from the war, one of his first films. Yeah, after... Mr. Mr. Stewart flew 25, I think it was 25 missions in B-24s. Something he was he if, over Germany, you know, and that guy was the real thing. He didn't, like John Wayne played soldiers, Jimmy Stewart was, was a one. soldier. And the interesting thing is, you know, when Jimmy Stewart came back from the war, the first thing he did was It's a Wonderful Life, which, of course, we've done on our show before, mm-hmm. which was not successful when it came out. And I think he realized, since he was, you know, he was getting older and had probably grown quite older by going through the war, that he needed to sort of recreate himself as an actor. And this is one of the major films that helped him remold himself because... This is not the same Jimmy Stewart no, isn't. that you see in earlier films. He this is, is a Jimmy Stewart with a huge chip on his shoulder. And he has be- he'll become this icon, this this visceral beacon of reality for the post-war generation. Um because he's he's trying to in many many of the films that he has done pretty much after this, he's trying to hold it all together, all the values, you know, and he's doing it with rage. He does it with logic. He does it with rationalization. But it's still, he's always trying to hold it together. Gentlemen, before we move any further down this path, it is uh, only fair to remind all that these movies are perfect because of a very, very rigorous trial process that centers right. around the if you trademark got this, If you rules. got this movie in a soup can, this is what it would say <laughs> on the side. 
because uh, Winchester 73 creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that world. And regardless of changes in society, Winchester 73 retains its meaning and entertainment value. And Winchester 73 will never be placed in a preferential or numerical order. It is perfect by its own scale. And so just put it. that on your can opener and open it up, <laughs> folks. Put that in your, yeah, your can opener. Smoke it. <laughs> so it's black and white. It's beautiful. It, it starts is. out with, uh, with uh, George, probably you know the term, when it starts out with words. There's like a, a, a scene setter. Well, but that doesn't have to always be uh, written words, does it? And no, it's a, okay, it's a written prologue. And it's not written too dissimilar. Oh, thank you. In fact, I can see when they wrote this, I can just see a bunch of guys, studio stuff shirts, sitting around saying, well, you know, if we're going to call this Winchester 73, we better say something about the rifle, right, you think? Or don't you think? Because when you watch this movie, it's not really about the rifle. Well, the rifle is just the thread that binds these series it, it, of people. The thread is, I mean, the, the rifle is an amazing, amazing emollient of of storytelling and it, it's like when hitchcock used to say the MacGuffin. nobody knows what it is well it's almost like you forget what they're all fighting over in this movie hey by the way george didn't jonathan demi or someone make a maybe even a television series something called the gun that was about yes. yeah where a gun just keeps changing hands and the story of what... It was like a, t- a miniseries, I believe. Yeah, and it's just funny because as I was watching this and realizing that this is about the gun, it follows well, the gun. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, you know, that, that the man who rightfully owns the gun loses it right at the beginning, but everyone else who gets their hands on it dies. <laughs> yeah, it's this really, really, it's like radioactive. And, and, and they, just when, just about the time, this is a real compliment to Anthony Mann's ability to tell a story. Just when you're wondering, right when your head says, okay, well, where's the gun? The, cam- the camera tilts down in one scene, or else it tilts up. I mean, it's always, oh, I'm glad you asked that, because here's, here's the gun. And guess where we're going next? Yeah. Well, we're not going to tell you, but look what happens. The gun is bad. Speaking of uh, where are we going next, give us, uh, George, if you would be so kind, a little rundown of the action. And there's uh, several uh, distinct segments in what goes on. Right. The story is beautifully told and very, very tight. And we'll get into talking about Anthony Mann here in a minute. But um, the basic story, it starts on July 4th, 1876. And in the town of Dodge City, Kansas, they are having a... um, a competition for the celebrating the centennial, and the prize is a Winchester Model 1873 rifle. And uh, a lot of sharpshooters have come into town to to vie for this contest, including Lynn McAdams, who is played by James Stewart, along with his friend, uh, who's known as High Spade, who's played by Millard Mitchell, who most people remember as the studio head in Singing in the Rain. That's his, where he's mostly remembered from. But he often played Western characters in quite a few great movies. Um, so the contest goes on, and it comes down to Lynn McAdams and this guy named Dutch Henry Brown, who is obvious they have a history between them, and it's not a good one. Because the first time they Stephen see each other, they draw their guns. They're, they try to draw their guns, but they've been taken away. Which I thought, by the way, was a completely interesting aspect of this story, because all this talk, talk, talk about gun control, and you know, there's so many sides and variations of that argument. In Dodge City, you, as soon as you came in, you had to take Bring off your, gun. your guns. Yeah, in case you missed that part in the picture, there's a couple of shots in there where they just show you a room full of guns. <laughs> And everybody That's put for the them slow down. audience. And know? why was that? It was to keep people from killing each killing other each at other. the drop of a hat. Because every- that was, you know, that was started by by famous 
Western lawman Wyatt Earp. Who's played by Grandpa Walton. Played by Will Gear. Who's Grandpa Walton. Grandpa Walton, yeah. Man, I and, love him. Um, <laughs> and actually, if you want to play it right now, right at the beginning, this kind of sets up the sort of the interesting little mythology of the gun right from the beginning. As, uh, as Sheriff Earp uh, shows the gun to the contestants and the town people and gives them a bit of the history about what's so special about this particular Winchester 73. Fellas, this is what you're shooting for. Now take a good look at it and say a prayer. Pass it along for the others to see. That's real pretty. Mm -hmm. While the contestants are examining the prize to be awarded to the winner, I'll tell you something about it. It seems as when the Winchester people are turning out these here guns, every so often, maybe one gun out of every 10, uh, 20,000, well, it, it, it comes out just perfect. Now, naturally, it ain't for sale. I would give a year's wages for that gun, but money won't buy it. It wouldn't be right to sell it. So the Winchester people, they have given it a name. They call it One of a Thousand. And that's a good name. President Grant has got one, and Buffalo Bill Cody. And today, you're going to see one of these here men win something that I would give my right that I would uh, give my left hand on. <laughs> now, if you folks behave yourselves, I could give my right hand. <laughs> However, <clears throat> that, that, that is a prize. There you have it. So there you go. <laughs> Definitely sounds like uh, Grandpa Walton. It's filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO, and we're talking about the 1950 Western, black and white, called... Winchester 73, and uh, very much uh, the gun as the object of... The gun is, is a whole language in this picture. The social ramifications of this picture are so deep. Not too many people have written about it, but what you're looking at is a, after a whole world war, they're trying to examine, I think what Anthony Mann is saying, is that everything is a, is a response from a gun. Uh, now, Jimmy Stewart comes into this story because he's going to get this guy that killed his dad, but he knows the gun is a, is a bait to get him where he wants him, to kill him, of course. And uh, what you see here is this, uh, this, the gun is this emollient of disaster, like George says, <laughs> everywhere it goes. Yeah. And this shiny, beautiful piece of sewing machine precision just brings nothing but bad news. <laughs> Yeah. That's right, because as the gun passes through the hands of what? One, two, three, four, four or five people. It and every one of them ends up flat on his face. It's very similar to John Steinbeck's The Pearl, you know, yeah. if you've ever read that novel. Only it's it's a modern telling of the pearl because and, it's So it's like a cursed object. Yeah, and it's very interesting because the men lose all sense of reason over this gun. <laughs> they really do. Now Dan DeRay to, It's oh. like I'll give you three hundred dollars in gold for this gun. No, I want the gun. <laughs> but yeah. you don't have any food. I want the gun. Now, you know, Dan, and Dan DeRay is the only one that just kind of detours because he's got his eyes on Shelly Winter, who looks incredibly voluptuous. Yes. Doesn't and, she? And he's Waco Johnny, 
and he does the best death dance in any movie as they just <laughs> fill him full of lead. Oh, man. They just, it's funny I, you say that because <clears throat> it totally stuck out to me. He really does. They shoot him, and he's just trying to remain standing, and yet he just can't because his body's being riddled. I think, yeah, I think sort of Dan Duryea is kind of you know doing a competition with Richard Widmark of who can play the best psychopath because he's just a <laughs> giggling. Oh, he's, just, he's great. He's he just smiles. He's so smooth. And, he, and they, you know, they get in that little contest over the gun. And he goes, oh, "Maybe you were to take it." And he's looking at Shelley, you know, because Shelley <laughs> has this beautiful. I mean, she's really gorgeous yeah. in this movie. It's hard to believe she's yeah. that chick that swim in the water and Poseidon. Right, right. You know? <laughs> she gets something else. <laughs> but again. He's got his hands on it, so that means one thing, you know. He's going to die. Yeah, and yeah. the only thing is, is at the end, when, when Stewart gets his hands back on it, they put it in the sheath, and, and that's it. Of course, we don't know what happens to Jimmy Stewart, but uh, we can only imagine after seeing. You know, I would say, I don't want this gun. Take it away. Yeah. yeah. This is just bad luck. Well, uh, also, uh, of note, uh, it was made mention that this, this gun uh, kind of turned the tide of the uh, of the Great West as this far was, as the uh, Indians versus... This was the versus... kiss of death for the Indians in Winchester 73 was when they were never, ever, ever going to get their status back as, as equals. Right, and this is kind of shown in the movie in a scene where... Um... They, uh, Jimmy Stewart and his friend are holed up with some cavalrymen, and they know the Indians are coming after, and he tells them, you know, these Indians know, like the Indians who, who killed Custer, that you guys have Springfield riders with Springfield rifles, which were the Army rifles at the time, that can only do one shot, and they've got Winchesters or repeating rifles, which means they can get off ten when you, in the time that you can get one off. And then in the scene where I believe John McIntyre is talking to Rock Hudson, the big chief Indian. Yeah. How bizarre is that? <laughs> He's standing there just as smooth and literate as possible. But here's what's really interesting about that scene is that this is after World War II, and he gives a small commentary. You, t- you take all our women, you wipe out all our blah, 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 blah. Right. And now you give us junk rifles. See, it's, 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 it's curtains, you know? And, and that's kind of what the story is about is, is the, the West that was before the war is not the West after the war. We're looking no, at there, it through different no, eyes. There's no singing cowboys in this movie. There's mm. no nice white shirts with big flowers on them. There's no clean little... <laughs> it's, it's a gritty... There's no system. compromise. Rock Hudson no. says, no deal. We're going to kill you all. You know, yeah. it's, it, that's the, a small... And I mean, it's really a silly sounding commentary today. But think about this. This is 1950. And, and all of a sudden we're hearing this kind of dialogue in a right. movie. Um, so it wasn't kind he... of, it's interesting how this, even though this is a Western, I mean, this is like one of Anthony Mann's first Westerns, and he had become very well known for his noir films, uh, like T-Men. And yeah, that are, that's one of George and I's uh, favorite T-Men. That are just gritty and pain, painfully so, and this very much is like an almost like a noir Western at times. Well, I think it was made note that it's not a lot of dialogue. There's really a great deal of the action and the uh, exposition takes place uh, as visual images. But, you know, what's interesting about all the action in this film is all the action. It's a ton of action. I mean, they do everything but throw the kitchen sink. And if you if you kind of know a little bit of film history, you'll say, what are they saying here? They're saying, what's next? What's next? We've wiped them out. We're doing everything to entertain people, and they they have they rob a bank. Um, yeah. They have how many shootouts? Um, they have a contest over uh, a weapon, um, and and Anthony Mann is almost saying, "Okay, well, what else can we give them to keep them happy?" Mm-hmm. Don't you think, there, George? Well, yeah, and, and Anthony Mann, not only that, but he's he's found something new that hasn't really been there, which is 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 violence. 
I mean, there's been violence in movies since day one, but for some reason, Anthony Mann kind of really gets into it. The, the scene that really comes to my mind is where Jimmy Stewart is just finally tired of, of, of uh, Waco Johnny and just grabs him at the bar and slams his head down the bar and twists his arm until he cries like a little girl. <laughs> it's an incredibly violent, scary scene. Oh, it and is, because Jimmy really Stewart is really good. It's not something you see in other people's movies, although other Anthony Mann films you see stuff like this. And, and, it, and he just keeps building on it through, his, through the next few years as his westerns continue. Jimmy they Stewart, get more and more violent. Jimmy Stewart has this bottled rage. And, and uh, as you watch this movie, you'll notice that they're just, there's this rage and it's going nowhere. And when you carefully watch this, you'll notice that as Anthony Mann tells the story, he loosens up the shots as you go on through. I mean, it's perfectly timed. I mean, real simple shooting. But then when you get to the end, you'll see these wide open spaces behind our characters. And what do they do? They go into like this hellish, you know, area of the country where it's all rocks and they have a shootout for like three and a half minutes where it's just nothing but a fight in hell over nothing you've forgotten completely about what they're yeah what's the what is the point what is the point and they and this is very post-war it's like what in the heck are you guys doing you're just shooting at each other you know well well, you have to kind of like say why all this is going on well he's mad at him because he killed his dad and then he's mad at him for why is he mad at him again yeah and then you're kind of ensconced (laughs) in the action you think Okay, well, they're in rocks, and it just goes on and on and on. Is it worth mentioning uh, a little bit of a maybe a spoiler that, that you know? I, don't oh! think, I know exactly what you're what you're trying <laughs> so to say. A little, I you don't know. think so. Oh, you think not? Here, I, I got it rolling. Was... No pressure, but George. Uh... Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> you sure? She well, didn't put the parking brake on. Suffice to say, one of the big turning points in the movie is where you find out a little more about why these two guys. Uh, why Lynn McAdams and Dutch Henry Brown are after each other, besides the fact that Dutch Henry Brown killed Lynn McAdams' dad. There's more to it than yes. that. Yes, there is. So, all right, we'll leave that to uh, to your imagination and to be discovered. When you watch well, our perfect movie today, it is uh, Winchester 73, in the 1950 uh, classic starring uh, Jimmy Stewart. But then a lot of people make appearances here. Uh, it's my understanding for, for the first time. This was like an early an early breaker for a lot of uh, then future stars. Yeah, well, like Rock Hudson, of course. And was this really his first? I don't know that it was his first. But, but early. But one of his early ones. And, of course, uh, he's credited as Anthony Curtis. <laughs> Tony but, uh, Curtis. Tony Curtis. Gets a couple lines in there. He finds the gun laying in the ground, laying on the ground. Amazing. Yeah, and it's right below Jimmy Stewart's feet, and he can't even see it. Yep. And Shelley, was this early one for Shelley Winter as well? I believe so, yeah. yeah. 1950. Yeah. yeah. One, of the, one of the coolest things about this movie has one of the best coward scenes in any movie. <laughs> That's funny because it's the term yellow. Oh, he was yellow through and through. We were dealing with yellow last time But look time what he does. Too. He leaves Shelly Winters on a wagon. Wasn't that And goes, I'll go get help. And, he and the Indians yeah. are right charging off. now. And then he turns back around, you know, because the Indians are after him and everything. And then he has to live this yellow streak down through the movie. And he even handles the rifle. Yeah. And and it does the it well, kills we, him. Kills him. <laughs> well, <laughs> not directly, but very soon. But, he, but yeah, and, and, and again, that, that actor Charles Drake. I mean, Charles Drake's in a thousand and one. He movies. was in war movies usually. Yeah, he usually gets killed in all the war movies, you know, because he's he's just not the strong guy. But in this one, he's just an absolute <laughs> he's stylish a, coward. <laughs> yeah, <it's> pathetic. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I love the part of the game where Waco Johnny tells him to, you know, go get the tea and put on an apron. You'll look better. And he almost did it. He did go get the tea, and he was about to put on that apron until it all came to a You're going to see a lot of movies, end. like what we talked about before, you're going to see a lot of movies emulate Waco Johnny's little death dance at the end, which is just too much fun to I thought watch, it was fabulous. Know? I thought it was really well done. Nice death. Way to go. Totally Anthony Mann, because he wouldn't do that in the beginning of the movie or in the middle of the movie. Instead, he... He compiles everything, and then it's this guy's like a scapegoat, and you want to see him get drilled, and that's right. exactly what he does. It's also a payoff. Anthony Mann's really good for payoff moments. You know, I mean, he deserves exactly what he gets, so yeah. know, Anthony Mann does not disappoint. It's kind of satisfying. So um, I had to see it that uh, J-Tab was kind enough to lend me his copy, and on this particular uh, – <laughs> do not sass me – and on this particular uh, edition, there is uh, – they just call it an interview with uh, Jimmy Stewart, but the truth is it has to be – uh, if I'm not mistaken, one of the very first commentary where they have some of the people sit, some people involved in the making of the movie sit and actually watch the movie and talk right. about it. Instead, That of- actually was done for the Laserdisc release of Winchester 73, oh. which came out in the early 90s. And yeah, that was very, at the time, it was like one of the, the first uh, movies to be put out with a commentary by one of the actors. What's really cool is you'll hear Jimmy Stewart say, yeah, let's sit down. I haven't seen the old Winchester 73 yeah. in quite some time. And, and he's not like one of those actors, I can't watch it. You know, he's, he's oh, just going to so... go back and look at it objectively. It just again, makes you completely you know? love him as well. Because um, I, I have to say, although I enjoyed watching the movie, I watched it again with a commentary. And I found it so, uh, so gratifying. He is so humble and quick to uh, point out the strengths and, and strong deliverances by, you know, his, uh, his colleagues. And absolutely just uh, so grounded and loving. Lovely, and it just everything that you hoped would be true about him appears to be, you know, if you're to believe this amazing commentary. Right. One of the well, things in the movie is what you want to notice here is the great contest that was going on in that era of filmmaking was how many Indians can you put on a hill? Um, <laughs> George knows what I'm talking about, <laughs> and you'll see them. There's was one, two, card? like 500 Indians ready to ride down. I think there was something to do with Custer's kind of element in there, but. There were so many movies where they just they would start panning in widescreen. Oh, look, there's like a million Indians ready to ride yep. down on top of you. And Anthony Mann does this with absolute precision because he's cutting to Jimmy Stewart in the studio with a rifle watching all this. Yep. It's total, just really clean and simple editing. And he goes from like Jimmy Stewart in between coffee breaks with his rifle up and looking at him and to some exterior set where all these actors are on horses portraying Indians and, and and perfect stacks and of they, people. Yeah, and they know? set a nice tension there because uh, in the time frame of the movie, uh, Custer has just fallen. So there's a whole new you know sense of uh, of dynamic between these fighting forces. And, and yeah, that's one other one of the other things that's interesting about the movie is the way information is delivered to you in the movie. It's never right out there. It always comes out in a, an aside comment. Um, I mean. The information, I'm thinking not only of that, about how they talk about Custer and how, you know, Stewart says, well, you know, these Indians are feeling pretty brave now because of what they did to Custer. Mm -hmm. And that kind of sets up the next thing. And also just other little stories, information about the relationship between McAdams and Dutch Henry Brown is all relayed through, through movement and looks. 
and little asides, you know, Will Gear says, wow, you guys must have learned to shoot from the same person, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, That's right. That's right. You know, no matter how good Jimmy Stewart is, he's still got this element of revenge in his soul. And interestingly enough, in another movie that Anthony Mann did with Jimmy Stewart, which is called Man from Laramie. Oh, yeah. Very similar character who's raging even more at the machine he's just raging at well culture. you got really good reason to in that one yeah I mean, good but it's like this kind of an evolution of this character and movie although they're not the same movies or sequels or anything but you'll see some similarities in the chemistry that he had with anthony mann in this movie well and you'll see that in lots of man's films there's always the main character who is horribly wronged and and has to fight against these elements that he really has no connection to but he's pushed into it and they push him like one peg too far, and he just goes. Let's, uh, hey, George, let's cut to that uh, little thing over there where they're on the horses talking. Okay, yeah, this just gives you an idea of the kind of really neat relationships between the characters. This is uh, McAdams and High high, uh, high Spade just before, as they ride into the camp with the, uh, the soldiers. Yeah, I hear him. I told you night riding wasn't smart. I guess you did. Now we're smack in the middle of it. I guess you're right again. Being right ain't gonna do us any good. What'll we do now? Now, keep riding. With engines all around us? Maybe it'd feel better if we stopped. Mm, no. Well, maybe we'd just better keep on riding. It was such pretty hair. I had it ever since I was a kid. A little thin on top, but I'd sure like to keep it. <laughs> it's making a reverence to the scalping, isn't it? I used to think when I was when I was a little kid, I'd think, you know, I'd be riding out there and I wouldn't recognize all those. I'd think they were animal sounds. I didn't think they were Indians, you know, but they always had to tell you those are Indians out there, you know. Those are pretty mm. clever sounds, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. Yep. A lot going on. It's Winchester 73, our perfect movie on this edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. And uh, I have to agree, I really enjoyed it. And to me, even added value was that amazing commentary with Jimmy Stewart. I just I just added such uh, context and uh, perspective. And I have to say, I really, really appreciate it. The movie is fabulous, and that added insight is just almost priceless. Gentlemen, as we wrap up, uh, we've got uh, we have to make sure that we – do you feel that this movie actually created completely its own world? This is a post-world, post-war world that they're in. It's a Western, but we're starting to get into elements uh, that other movies are going to visit in this because this world is, is, is driven by machinery, uh, violence, vengeance. Um, there's no justice in this, I don't think. Do you, George? Well, there is, there's a, just the justice there at the beginning, but once they're outside of Dodge City, everybody's on their own. That world is, is very much, we can identify with that world today, what yeah. they're projecting. It's there. funny because it was post-Civil War, the setting, it was actually post-World War II that, when this actually was out. So interesting you know, resonance well, like, on like that. The first lean and just mean Westerns that were starting to come out. Like we have done a couple of them, like High Noon. I don't think sure, we've, sure. we've done a few pre-war westerns but western is american culture and you know the culture gets the art it deserves i found myself watching and thinking of that too actually as this was going on i'm thinking this is what so many people across this globe emulate this time this era these feelings it certainly sustains it i was i was drawn in and right there through every bumpy ride every uh 
Everybody hiding behind the boards of a wagon. Remember, Jimmy Stewart was in a was in a killing machine. Man, he knew about that stuff. He was in a four engine bomber that would kill people every time he flew. So he understood mechanization and death. He understood it. For rule number three, I think we got it. Yeah, uh, we knew. Resonates through till today, no question about it. It is Winchester 73, our movie on this day on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. As we uh, wrap up, I'd like to get your cards and letters and your emails at filmguysatperfectmovie.net. Are we going to tip our hat at all about anything coming up but down the pike? No, just to say that it's going to be good. Yeah, if we tipped <laughs> our hat, our brains would fall out. <laughs> And, and then we, we have to, like, go what we do every day is kick them all over the floor before, before we figure it out we've fallen out of our hat. <laughs> You're listening to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. You can catch us here live every Friday at 1230 or catch us anytime online. Perfectmovie.net for archived audio. We're on NPR.org. You can get us on iTunes. Or, hey, just sit down and meditate, and we might just flood <laughs> on in. Gentlemen, as always, thank you so much for being here. I'm meditating. George, <laughs> until next time. All right. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website www.perfectmovie.net See you, please!